Hashem Salper learning today, Soita Daf Ches. We left off on Daf Zayin Omid Beis, three lines from the bottom and the beginning of the wide line, Im Amra Tmeya Ani. So as we were learning in the Mishnah, that the Kayan attempted to intimidate her, to admit that she's guilty, to prevent Hashem's name from being erased. And if she actually admits that she defiled herself, so says the Mishnah, then she no longer goes on with the procedure of the Saita. The Mishnah uses the words that shoyvedes ksuva, which means that we write a receipt for her ksuba, and v'yoyt says, and she goes out. So says the Gemara Shmas from the Mishnah, we see that that a receipt is given, is written out to her. And as we spoke out yesterday, that at the end of Masechtas Bava Basra, and Davkuf Ayin, there's a machloikis, as Rashi brings down between Tanoim, between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yossi, as to when someone owes a debt. Let's say the typical case, the borrower, the borrower is returning the money to the lender. Normally, the lender would return the document. Like, no more document, no more proof. And he would then rip up the document. But if the lender claims, I lost the document, but I'll write you a receipt, so not everyone agrees that that is a procedure that's acceptable. Why? Because if the borrower will have to hold on to the receipt, but the document that proves that he owed money might still be pulled out and used again against the borrower, then there's a burden on the borrower to keep his, to keep his document. And more than that, what would happen if his document gets eaten up then by mice as, as they speak out? So there are some Tanaim that hold that the document is not an accepted way and the borrower insists with the lender, give me back my document or wait for the money. Our Mishnah says that they wrote out a document for her ksuba. So this Luchu'ura is a proof that our Mishnah goes according to those opinions that a receipt is an acceptable means through which the one who owes the money has to pay back the debt. Amar Abayah, so Abayah, not wanting our Mishnah to go into this Machlekes Tanoim, says, Tanei, amend the Mishnah. The Mishnah really says, Mikaras, that the Ksubas ripped up. Amar how can you amend the Mishnah? The Mishnah says that a receipt is written out. Ela Amar Rava, says that our Mishnah is speaking about a case, We're speaking in a, in a case, as we learned in Masechus Ksuba, that a, the document of the Ksuba wasn't even written, because since all of the stipulations in the Ksuba is called Tanai Beisdin, there was no need for a document. And in Hanami, in such a place where there is no document, there everyone agrees that a receipt is an accepted form, is an accepted solution. Husband gives ex-wife receipt, and she, through that, will actually collect her ksuba. The wife gives to the husband or to the husband's heirs a receipt, and they never have to worry that she will collect the ksuba again. Goes on to the Mishnah, however, if she insists that she did not have a physical act of cohabitation with that man. So then, says the Mishnah, continues the Mishnah, they brought her up to the eastern gate of the Har Habais. Asks the Gemara, they brought her up, turning to Davches, she was already there, as we spoke out, where did this final 
judgment take place in the base in Hagadol. And not only in any based in Hagadol, but in the based in Hagadol of Shivan Ve'echad. And that based in Sat, as we spoke out, in the Lishkas Hagaziz, which is already adjacent, literally adjacent to the Azara. So if they took her to the eastern gate of Temple Mount, that's not taking her up, that's taking her down. Answers the Gemara, you're right. Originally, the Maskinala, they bring her up to Lishkas Hagaziz. And if she's insisting that she's innocent, umachtinala, they bring her down. In other words, in Yiddish, they schlep her around. They bring her up, they bring her down. And why was that done? Kedeli Yaga, in order to exhaust her. And why did they want to exhaust her? That's another means that is used in a Beisden in, in order to impress on a party that's actually guilty that they should admit to their guilt. The Tanya Rabshim ben as we learned in Abraisa, Rabshim ben Elazar says that when it comes to witnesses that are testifying to a, ca- to a case where if the person will be found guilty, he'll be put to death. So Beisden made a special derisha and hakira, and they used other techniques to make sure the witnesses are not lying. One of the things the court did was Beisden ma'asi'in esoedim. The Beisden moves around the witnesses, mimakim lamakim from place to place, for them to get exhausted, and through that, they should admit if their testimony is indeed untrue. What does it mean that Beisden moved them around? So Rashi interprets over here in the fifth line from the top, they actually moved them around from corner to corner, from chamber to chamber. However, other Rishayim interpret that they moved them around in topics. In other words, when they interrogated the witnesses, they changed topics quickly. They asked about one subject, then they asked about a completely unrelated subject. So psychologically, it confused them. And if they were not saying the truth, they would lose their guard. And that would be a way for Basin to make sure that they are indeed saying the truth. And that's the meaning here also, that she was moved around a lot. Here it means physically from Lishkas Hagazes back down to the eastern entrance to Temple Mount and back up into the Lifnei Hashem, which was into the airspace of the gate called Sha'ar Niknor. And what happened in the Halal Sha'ar Niknor? Continue the Mishnah. Shesham, the there. Mashkin as they would have all of the soites, drink the may marum, the bitter waters, as well as, the Mishnah pointed out, both the yoldois, the woman who gave birth, and as we learned at the end of Masech Nazar, a woman who gives birth to a boy on her 40, 41st day of her birth. After she went to the mikveh prior to that, the day or way earlier prior to that, then she brings karbanis of a A woman who gave birth to a girl on the 81st day is going to bring her karbanis. Any person who is a mechuser kipunim, meaning they, didn't, they have to bring karbanis to get their full atonement, don't have the level of tahara needed to fully enter the machna which began right uh, going further in from the Shar Nikner. So they got as close as possible, and it was there that they gave the Kayin their Karbanis. And likewise, said the Mishnah, that if a person became a Matsaida, a man or a woman, after they were purified, after they underwent the first seven days, and they went to the mikvah, so there also on the eighth day, they used to stand in the Halal Shar Nikner to give to the Kayin their Karbanis that they were obligated to give. And as we spoke out, whatever the Kayin needed to do to them, which was both with the oil 
and with the blood of the Ashamat Saida, some of that blood was put on the inner part, on the cartilage of the right ear, and on the right thumb, and on the right toe of the Mitzayda or of the Mitzara'as. And they were not allowed to enter the Machna The blood was not allowed to leave Machna And being that only putting a minority body part into the, into the area space, into the ear space of the Machna that is not halachically considered as if they fully entered. So they stood by the limit. They stood by the boundary. They stood in the halal sharniknar. They only, the Metzayda only stuck his ear inside the ear space of the Machna Shechina. Only the thumb, only the toe. The blood that was put on the ear, thumb, and toe never left the Shar Shechina. And once that service was done, they became fully pure. And now they can fully enter Shah Machna Shechina. So asks the Gemara Bishleim Asayta, it says, Vehemid HaKoyin Esoisha Lifnei Hashem, that she needs to stand in front of Hashem, and therefore, even though technically she is not Tommy, really she's even allowed to enter the Machna Shechina itself. But as we spoke out yesterday, since she was getting uncovered, she was, she was forced, so to say, to be unmodest. So it's not appropriate for a woman who doesn't have her hair covered to enter the Machna Shechina, etc. So she would stand, but on the other hand, it says she should stand in front of God. So she came as close as possible to Lifnei Hashem when it's still permissible. When it comes to it As we explained, Ella asks the Gemara, a woman who gave birth, my Tama, why did she offer her Korbanas to the Kayin when she was standing under the gate of Niknoid? Is it because when anyone brings a carbon, they must stand over their carbon? And by the way, that was the reason why the Yisraelim themselves were divided into 24 groups. And there was the same rotation. Every group served for one week and they were standing in the Beis HaMikdash, or half of the group of this Maimed, of the Mishmar, was standing in the Beis HaMikdash when the Karbanis of the community was brought. Because we all have to stand over our sacrifices when it's being brought. So if it's a communal carbon, we need to appoint representatives that are there while it's happening. If that's the case, the Tanya, as we learned, in that a carbon of the person ideally should only be offered, only if he's standing on top of it. If that's the case, asks the Gemara, why did the Mishnah only speak about the Yoldois? Why not mention also Azov and Azova? When the Zav saw three times his Re'iyah, then not only does he have to count seven clean days, but on the eighth day he has to bring a carbon. When a woman becomes a Zava Gedoyla, then she also, at the end of the seven clean days, on the eighth day she has to bring Karbanais. And they are also Mechusri Kippurim. So why didn't the Mishnah mention that they also stood under the gate of Niknar? Says the Gemara Enochanami. They also should stand there. And they stood there. Our Tana only mentioned one example of a Mechusar Kippurim, which was the Yoldais, but it really includes all of the other ones. Interesting to remind ourselves that when we learned Mesech Tashkalim, we learned about all of the different Sadaka Pushkas, called the Lishkas, that stood in the Azara, and every one had a different marking on it. Some of those Lishkas were for the bird Karbanais. Then we learned Dinim, what happens if money is found on the floor? You have to put it to the one that it's closest to, and if it's in between two and all those dinim. But one second, why was there even a pushka for people to bring, to put money for the kahanim later to use that money to buy the bird karbanais when the author of the carbon needs to be there? 
So again, to see that that's not something that is essential, that when there was no other option, they were allowed to just simply deposit their money in the base of Migdash, and they did not have to stand on top of their karbonis. But again, what we mean here is that it's ideal for them to be by their karbonis, and therefore they got as close as possible. We learned in that if God forbid there were two women at the same time that halachically became a woman that's suspected of committing adultery. She becomes a Suffolk Saita. And they go to the base of English at the same time. And here, one Kayan is not allowed to do the procedure for both of them at the same time. Why? Says the Braissa, for one woman not to become emboldened by watching the other one. In other words, it could very be that one of these two women, woman A, woman B, woman A is taka innocent. Well, not fully innocent, like we said. She shouldn't have been secluded with that man, but she did not commit an act of Bia. And therefore, she's innocent, and she's emboldened, and she's going to go through with the procedure. Woman B really did commit adultery. But when woman B sees how woman A is confident, she might become confident as well. And that's a terrible thing. The water of the God's name by her will be erased for nothing because she's going to die, and she's going to die. So when you don't have two women together, you avoid this one emboldening the other. Says Rabbi Yehuda, that's not the reason. I agree with your halacha. But it's not because one will embolden the other. It's based on a pasik. The pasik says, that the kain makes her take an oath. And the Torah did not have to write the word oisa. Oisa is in the singular her. So we learn from Oisa, Oisa Levada, only her, only one kind with one woman at a time. I ask the Gemara, the Tanakama, the Torah says Oisa. So why did he give a reason when he should have said even better? It says so in the Torah. We see from over here that a Pasuk obviously is better than a Svarah. So Tanakama answers the Gemara, Reb Shimon, he, the author of the Tana, the author of this Brice is Reb Shimon, the Tana Reb Shimon. And this is very important to remember. This is an opinion that Reb Shimon holds throughout Shas, the Dorish, Ta'am Dikra, that he gives a reason for the Psukim. What does it mean he gives a reason for the Psukim? So the, the, the example for this din is learned in Masechtas Bava Metziah. It says in the Torah in Parshish Kiseitzei that Loisach Boil Beged Almana, which means that a person is not allowed to take security from a widow. Security meaning that when people lent money, the lender would commonly take an item of security from the borrower, and if the borrower would default on the loan, then they would keep the security as payment. Now, the trader says that if the security is an item that the borrower needs, for example, if the borrower is poor and they only own one pillow and one blanket, the lender lent money and he took the pillow blanket for security, so the trader says every night the lender has to return it. Or if the borrower has one, um, he makes a living by being a chvesa, a shoemaker, and he has one machine that stitches shoes, and the lender took it as a guarantee, as collateral, every morning he has to give it to him for him to be able to work, to make a living. At night he takes it back. Now, it says that a man should not take security from a widow. Comes at Shimon and he says, why did the trader say that? Why can't you take security from a widow? Because if you're going to take security, you're going to take the pillow and the blanket, which means you're going to have to go every night and return it to her. And every morning, you're going to come back and take it back from her. People who are going to witness that are going to become suspicious of her. Here she is a widow, and here there's a stranger that's coming not twice a day to her house. So for people not to suspect her, you're not allowed to take a security. Now, says Rab Shimon, when Rab Shimon gives a reason to a Pasuk, he uses the reason to apply the din or to limit the din. 
Rav Shimon says, since this is the reason of the commandment, don't take security from a widow, if the widow is wealthy, or at least she owns two pillows and two blankets, which means you will not be obligated to return it and to take it back, then you could take security from her. Because the reason is not relevant. Obviously, it's dangerous because you have to make sure that you really know the only reason. But Rav Shimon, the Tana held that you could give a reason to a Pasik, and this will allow you to limit or to direct that Pasik only in the scenario where the, where the reason is relevant. The Chachamim, everyone else disagrees with Rav Shimon. Of course, it's nice to have an insight as to why Hashem said what He said. It's a mitzvah to try to understand. But even after we understand, that's not the full reason. There might be another reason. And therefore, to say that wherever the reason behind the mitzvah doesn't apply, we don't do the mitzvah. For us, we say, God forbid. You know, there's no end to that. And coming back over here, you know, Zerab Shimon is a Tanakama. Yes, it's based on a Pasuk Oiso. However, Umatam Ka'amar, Rav Shimon wants to know, why did God say that only one Saita at a time? In order for one not to be emboldened, as we explained, by the other one. And now, my Benayu, and therefore, if you hold that Doirish and Tama de Kra, so how will that limit the din of this b'raisa, my benayah between the Tanakama, which is Rab Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda. So the Gemara says, I'll give you a great example. When the woman is trembling, now whether both women have to be trembling, or Rashi says that only one of them have to be trembling, was if a woman is trembling, she's claiming her innocence, and she's undergoing the procedure anyway. But the fact that she's trembling, she will not embolden an observer. And according to Rab Shimon, that Oisa is only because in a case of recesses, according to Rab Shimon, then one Kayin can make the procedure for two women at one time. Because when one is trembling again, she's not giving off confidence. She's not going to embolden anyone. Says the Gemara, how can you say that according to Rab Shimon, when it's recesses, when one of them are trembling or both of them are trembling, me mashkin, could you, according to Rab Shimon, do the procedure together, one client to two saites? It can be because there's another issue. And what is the other problem? Behold, ein oisen mitzvahs, chavilois, chavilois. We cannot gather, join mitzvahs and make them bundles, bundles either because it looks like we want to get over with it, so I have to, God forbid, you know, waste my time doing this, I might as well get it over with anyway, or it's because I cannot have proper kavana when I'm doing two things at the same time. But bottom line is, we're not allowed to do mitzvahs, bundles, bundles. The Tran, as we learned, where do we apply that to? Beginning with here, the Braisa says, Ein mashkin Two soites cannot have one coin, giving them, undergoing with them the entire procedure together. And If there's only one coin, you can't do the avoida, you know, take the blood of the Asham Metzorim and put it on the ear and on the thumb and on the toe of two Metzorim together. You don't do that. If a, if a Jew owns a Jewish slave, and Avadivri, Parshas Mishpatim. They are supposed to go out max at the end of their sixth year of servitude. But if they want to stay on under certain circumstances, then they are taken to the Beisdin, and the Beisdin is going to drill a hole in their ears, and you can't have one based in doing it together to two avadim, perhaps two avadim that belong to the same master. The mitzvah that if God forbid the person is found murdered outside a city, and we don't know who the guilty party is, so it's not case closed, we don't know who did the murder, but the responsibility then falls on the community. 
So first you measure to see which community was the one closest to the corpse. And then the elders of that community needed to bring a calf and they went to a untilled space field and they needed to decapitate the calf from the back, from the neck, towards the, from the back of the neck to the front of the neck. And with all the denim that you have over the air, we cannot do this decapitation for two murders at the same time. And all of that is because, says the Brayse Lefish, So coming back, even the lit up Shimon, says, there is no issue of Oysa, but you have the problem of you don't do mitzvahs, bundles, bundles. Or other people say that this answer was given by Rav Kahana. Ah, Khan in the Braisa, when the Braisa explains that the reason why two soites cannot drink together is because chavilois, chavilois, when is it considered bundles when there's only one kain? So the kain wants to get over with this chore that he has. So in Yiddish, he chaps and he does it with two soites together that he's not allowed to do that. Either it looks like it's a burden or he cannot concentrate properly. But Khan, in the case of the Tana Rav Shimon, is when you have two Kahanim. When two Kahanim are the ones doing, dealing with two Saitas, one coin for each Saita, there it's not bundles, bundles. Nevertheless, let Rabbi Yehuda, it's never going to be permissible, because as long as these two Saitas see each other, one will embolden the other. However, let Rabbi Shimon, who's doidish, tamadikra, when one of them, according to Rashi, or according to other Rishonim, when both of them are trembling, one will not inspire confidence to the other. They're trembling. So then with two kahanim, you are allowed to do it. Interesting, this concept of mitzvahs, chavilois, chavilois, very relevant today. First of all, a couple of uh, quick pointers. Number one, this is normally only said when we're speaking about a mitzvah that takes physical exertion. Not a mitzvah that doesn't take physical exertion. Other people also limit it only to mitzvahs that are of obligation. But when a mitzvah is of physical exertion, and it is of an obligation, then ein oitzim mitzvah is chavilis chavilis. The best example will be by Yabris Milo. We had this in this community a couple of times, that if someone is blessed with two sons, and both of the brisin, brisois, are bismanoi, so then uh, we talk uh, relatively, what we, we do it together, but you can't have a moil circumcising one son and then right away the other son. Because ein oitzim mitzvah is chavilis chavilis. So they do a bris, and there's a hefsik. There's a break, however that break looks like, and then he does the other bris. That's one good example. Another example would be, many people hold that when a person has two yard sites on the same day. So when it comes to saying Kaddish, we spoke out, that's not a mitzvah of physical exertion. You're not doing anything begashmias. You can say one Kaddish for two people. But when it comes to lighting a ner neshama, people say for every person, another ner neshama. Ein oitzim mitzvah is chavilis, chavilis, and a lot more to say on this topic. Let's go on to the Gemara. The Mishnah continues, The Koyin roughly grabs onto her garments, we learned in Abraisa, that it says in the Chumash, the word upara means to uncover, that he uncovers the head of this Saita. Says the Abraisa, from here we see that he uncovers her here. How do we know as we learned in the Mishnah, that her top part of her body is also exposed. Answers the Braisa, since the Torah says the words Ha'isham, the Torah could have said Upara Es Roisha. Why did the Pasik say Upara Es Rois Ha'isha? That means that even part of the body is going to get exposed. I asks the Braisa, Matam Alayim Upara Es Roisha. 
If her body is getting exposed, say that he uncovers her body. So Malame, that comes to teach you that there was a unique type of exposure. There is an additional type of exposure that is done to her here. Not only was it uncovered, but he's going to unbraid her here. Now Rabbi Huda said, True, this is what the Torah says needs to get done. However, if she's an attractive woman, then her upper body part was not exposed. In other words, Rabbi Yehuda says the Gemara, it comes out that Rabbi Yehuda chayish li hirhura. Hirhura means, we'll stick to the word hirhur, but hirhur means unpure thoughts, sexual thoughts. And as we spoke out, that yeish koyach v'yat chachamim la'akar min ha-toyda b'sheva al-tasa. True, the Torah says her hair should be exposed, her upper body should be exposed, but not to cause people in the there to have hirhurim. Rabbi Huda says don't expose her. And the chachamim, who don't hold of that, they hold that when you're doing a mitzvah, especially when you're doing a mitzvah in a makim kadosh, in a base hamigdash on top of that, then we're not, uh, we're not worried about Hirurim. So asks the Gemara, how can that be? I'm going to show you a b'raisam that speaks about another din. But there too, there's a machlekes chachamim. Excuse me, and Rabbi Yehuda. And there it comes out the opposite, the tanya. And this is a b'raisam regarding what do we do to the person at the final stage, right before they are, God forbid, stoned to death. Biblical stoning. What happens? So one of the requirements are that the person needs to be unclothed. The person has to be naked. However, says the Braisa, that even though the person is unclothed, that ho'ish, that the man, that for the man, do you take a small piece of material and you cover his private parts in front of him? However, there is no piece of material you'll need it for the, for the back of him. When it comes to a woman, there again she was unclothed, but there when they covered her private parts, it wasn't just one material for the front, it was one little material for the front and one for the back. Why? Because by a woman, both the front and the back exposes her erva, and this is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Comes along the Chachamim and the Chachamim hold. You're right, by a man, a man has to be naked. And therefore, naked, but a small material suffices to cover his front, his body part. However, it's not that a woman has two parts, a little piece in the front and a little piece in the back. A woman was, God forbid, if she's being stoned to death, she was stoned fully clothed. And what, what's underlying the machlik is Tanakama and, I mean, Abihuda and the Chachamim, here by Skila, that the Chachamim hold Lehirudim. We don't want a woman to be stoned unclothed. People are going to look at her and they're going to have improper thoughts. So therefore she was dressed Rabbi Yehuda holds that ain't chayshish in lehirurim. It's a question. It's a contradiction. Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yehuda, you got it. And chachamim and chachamim. So Amar Rabba, Rabba says, Hachi over here, here meaning by soite tamamayim. The reason why we were afraid, Rabbi Yehuda, for hirurim, shema teitzimi based in zakois. She might be found innocent. No, she's not going to die. And being that before she drank the water, she was partially exposed. And the young Kahanim got aroused. And now they're going to go pursue her. And they might sin with her. So that's why here that she might survive it. Rabbi Yehuda was chayish, chayish lehirurim. However, Hassan by Skila, she's getting killed. We're doing Skila with her. She's not going to survive. So why would Rabbi Yehuda say, 
that Chashin and Lehirunim when she's not surviving it. I explains further the Gemara, explains that Abba, that maybe the Pirchei Kahuna, by getting aroused, by seeing her partially exposed, that's going to cause them to pursue and to sin with another woman. So it says the Gemara, that's not an issue. Ha'omar, Rava, or we have on the side, Rabba, as it's brought down in Sanhedrin, that Gemidi, we have a tradition, that the Yetzirah will only be effective to try to entice a person to pursue the woman that he saw exposed. But when a person sees woman A exposed, we have a tradition that the Yetzirah is not going to use that arousal to cause him to, uh, to pursue woman B, woman C. And as the Rebbe said many times, we say during the video, al that's one of the Alchets. The question is, when all sins come from the Yetzir Hara. So what's the Alchet? So there are certain sins that even the Yetzir Hara doesn't want us to do. So when people read these Gemaras and they say, well, what is the Gemara saying? Yeah, the Yetzir Hara, if a person sees one woman exposed, he's not going to want to be with another woman. I, people think that's not true, that if you get aroused by one woman, that's a sin that we make the Yetzirah a sin. That's because the, the level of the generation in this area has to be bettered. But coming back over here, so that's the difference between Saita and Skila. Period. Says the Gemara, one second. Was there only a contradiction between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yehuda? But the Rabbanan and Rabbanan Kasha? Was there no contradiction between the Chachamim? You only answered, how do you reconcile Rabbi Yehuda here in Saita? Why is Rabbi Yehuda in, in Skila not Chachamim? But what about the Chachamim? The Chachamim here... Imagine, now the question got worse. Okay, the answer of Rabbi Huda was given. However, the Rabbanan and the Rabbanan The Rabbanan in our Mishnah The Rabbanan over there says she gets clothed. Says the Rava, the Chachanim b'chlal anat chayish when, when a mitzvah is being done in a holy place, we don't have to be concerned about someone, something will be unmodest and it's going to, uh, it's going to, rate uh, the Yetzir Hara. We're not concerned about that. The reason for covering the woman by the Saita and the reason for exposing, I'm sorry, the reason for exposing the woman by a Saita, the reason for covering a woman by Skilam has to do with complete different issues. Hachi over here by the Saita, Tamamai, the reason why she's exposed, as we learned the Pasuk in the Mishnah from Yecheskel, as it says that Vini Vosru Kolanashim, that we want all of the women to be chastised. We want all of them to get to Musr. In other words, we want them to see what happens to a Saita. Especially as we spoke out, Nachiyahavah Segula for having children. A woman, God forbid, can't have kids. Huh? She'll become a Saita. She'll go do the procedure. Then she'll be blessed. We don't want that to happen. So how do you prevent it from happening? The woman, the Saita, is terribly uh, ashamed. She's exposed. But over there by Skila, there's no need to chastise people, to make people afraid of committing that sin, because what, witnessing a person being put to death, there's no greater musr for the observers, not to do that sin again. So there's no need to expose the person over there, but it's not because of Hirurim. Hasim Ein I asks the Gemara, so what? So even if, even if you don't need to, to scare off people from sinning, 
But why not further expose the person when they're being stoned? So now comes Rav Nachman. Let's remember this Gemara in the name of Rabba Baravua Amar Krom. We're going to have this in other parts of Shas. What does it mean to love your fellow Jew as yourself? Choose for your friend a better death. In other words, if the person is going to get killed being exposed, or the person is going to get killed being ashamed, exposed or not exposed, so kill them when they are less ashamed. Avas Yisroel. It's just that I think there is an underlying little lemusad here, that God forbid that this should be our Avas Yisrael. Just kill, kill the other person. Just kill a nicer. That's the Avas Yisrael is don't kill him. But unfortunately for some people, that's, the, that's as good as it gets. But learning normally, even when you have to kill someone, Avas Yisrael, kill them in a more dignified way. So now the Gemara says, one second. So why would Rabbi Yehuda, so Rabbi Yehuda is saying, the Chachamim are saying that she's not going to be exposed. Right? The Chachamim say, the Chachamim say that Avas Yisrael. And what about, what about Rabbi Yehuda? Rabbi Yehuda says that, she's, that she is exposed. She's only covered with a piece of material in the front and the back. What about So does it mean, says the Gemara, that Rabbi Nachman Tanoi, that this is actually the argument of Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim? So the Gemara says, no. Everyone holds, like Rav Nachman, the concept that when you kill someone, kill them in a more compassionate way. Aye, what's the argument? So now the Gemara introduces a genius idea. That on one hand, there's the shame that a person undergoes that when they're getting killed, not they're naked. But there's the other hand. What's the other hand? When a person was stoned, stoning was done by having the person thrown off a large story. And when they hit the ground, the sooner they die, the less pain. When a person is wearing garments, the garments, so to say, cushion the fall for an instant, and the death is delayed for that instant. So there's more pain. So now that's a psychological question. If a person has to choose between dying a prolonged death, but being less ashamed, which one takes precedence? So do I want to have garments, not someone who's getting skilla, and I'll be covered, but I'll die a split second later, or I don't care if I'm going to die, I want to die uh, with less pain, even if I'm exposed. And either choice is connected to the Ahaftal Riyacha Kamaycha. Marsovar, the Chachamim hold, Bizyoyne Adiflei, Tfei Mitzara Dugufa. We're speaking about a woman. That explains why, by a man, a man doesn't care so much if he's exposed. But a woman would prefer cover me. I am going to have pain for another split second. It's worth it for me. I want to be covered. However, Rabbi Yehuda holds, no, that even a woman says, listen, if I'm dying, I want to have less pain. Tzad gufa is more important for the woman who's getting killed. And therefore, but neither of them are, afraid, are worried about for hirhurim. Continues the Gemara. It says in the Mishnah, that if she was wearing white garments, before they, they started with ripping them, they would have her put on black garments. It says the Gemara Tana, we learned in Abraisa, that, that if black, the color black, made her look more attractive, then they put on ugly clothing. So in other words, when the Mishnah speaks about white or black, it's lavdafka, white or black. Maybe generally black is less attractive than white. The kavana is that people wanted to make sure that the whole procedure should be so unattractive, as we brought the Pasuk, that no woman will ever want to become a soite, even if she's innocent. 
If she was wearing golden jewelry, they would remove it. Asks the Gemara Pshita, why did the Mishnah even need to say it? Now that we are saying that we actually make her look repulsive, right? We unbraid her hair. She, according to the Chachamim, her top part of her body was exposed. We made her wear on ugly garments. And now you have to tell me, that they took off her jewelry. So the Gemara says, yeah, the Mishnah has to say it. Because Mao, the Tamer, one might have thought, that a woman who on one hand is ungarbed and her hair is unbraided. And together with that, she's wearing fancy jewelry that makes her look even more unattractive. inches, as the expression goes, shliach artel, that you are stripped of your clothing, but visoyim misane, but you're still wearing your shoes. In other words, that's an image that if a person is naked and wearing their shoes, it's very awkward, doesn't fit. So maybe they would dafka make her wear her jewelry. So the Mishnah says, no, that also not. That she too was taken, the jewelry was taken off her. And then said the Mishnah, they bought a chevel mitzri. We spoke about yesterday. Rashi says chevel mitzri. Read again the words of Rashi. Rashi says mitzure dekel. Mitzure dekel means palm fibers. In the bottom of a palm tree, there are certain fibers that can be used as a string. It's very cheap. It's very rough, but it works. And the goal was, since they ripped the top part of her garment, they didn't want it to fully fall. So after they exposed her, then they would tie it around her neck to, that she should be covered from that point onwards. We spoke out the Rambam. The Rambam says that it actually means a rope from Egypt. Since Egyptians were Shtufei Zima, and she's being suspected of, and minimally she was secluded with the man, that in itself is connected to Zunus. So to remind her that you're connected to, uh, to Egypt, and the question the Gemara asks is, Is putting on this, let's go with Rashi, this palm fiber, is this essential to her procedure? What's the question if it's essential? Everyone, that if for whatever reason they actually never tied up her garments and she already drank the waters, the waters are going to work. Either she'll die, God forbid, or she's going to be blessed if nothing happened. So that's not the question here of ma'akev. The question is, if they are up to this point in the procedure, and they don't have in the Beis Amikdash this chevel mitzri, should they wait to get it? Or, since it's not here, almost like lechatchila, let's keep on going on. Says the, and what's the question? Do we say that the main reason for using the garment is Mishum Yisham to That the main purpose for using this Chevel Mitzri is for her garments not to fully fall. And therefore, if you don't have the Chevel Mitzri, Ubit Siltzul, Siltzul means a belt. Ubit Siltzul Katanami Sagi, that using any other belt is good. Ideally, Chevel Mitzri, it's rough. It reminds her of Egypt. But if not, take anything. Oi! Dilma, or maybe the main reason why she wore a chevel mitzri mishum the Amar Mar, as we learned, that I will learn later, Mirza Shem and Exdaf, that the whole concept of Mida Kenegin Mida, that he that she was uh, seducing the, the adulterer by wearing for him nice belts. So that's why the Koyan brought her the chevel mitzri, an unattractive belt. And in other words, if the main purpose of chevel mitzri is the Mida Kenegin Mida, it's also for her garments not to fall. But if that's the main purpose, then maybe it's essential. Maybe you have to wait to get the Chevel Mitzri. So Amar Leig answers the Gemara Tinisua. The answer is found in Abraiso. It says in Abraiso, Vachakach Mevi Chevel Mitzri, 
says the Braisa, it's in order primarily for her garments not to fall. You know, that's the main reason. And since this is the main reason, if they don't have it on hand, instead of stopping the procedure, the procedure goes on. This is juxtaposed with there's also a Havas Yisrael here. Means even if she's guilty and she's going to die, it, maybe it's also connected to you know, the waiting. When a person is getting punished, that's the worst part. That Amman Paskins, that when a teacher is punishing a student, he's not allowed to tell a student, you're guilty of whatever, and I'm going to punish you tomorrow. You can't do that. Because waiting is also part of the punishment. If you want to punish, punish right away. So the Bikitzer, they did not make her wait. And then the Mishnah concluded, the Mishnah said like this, that, that men and women, right? The Mishnah said, Anyone is allowed to observe her. Then the Mishnah said, aside of her servants, because she'll become emboldened. And then the Mishnah concluded, all the women, all the women are allowed to see her. So when we learned the Mishnah, we pointed out this inherent contradiction. In other words, the Mishnah begins saying, Anyone who wants to observe can observe. Anyone, anyone means men and women. And why did the Mishnah then have to write that that women are allowed to see her? Which implies, Nashim in, women yes, and Nashim loy men no. Answers the Gemara. You have to interpret the initial statement of the Mishnah. When it says, whoever wants to see her can go see her, it only means women. Rava Rava doesn't like that. As we started today, today's daf, Abai and Rava, regarding can you amend or can you not amend the Mishnah? How can you say that it means only men when Rava is saying it's almost the same thing that whoever the word call means whoever men or and women so Rava answers like this the Mishnah begins saying that everyone is permitted to see her men and women however men are allowed to see her Women were encouraged to see her. They obligated women to see her. As we quote the Pasuk in Yecheskel, that, that we want to chastise all the women. And as the Pasuk concludes, in order for Veloi Sa'asena Kizimaz Chencha, that we don't want people to imitate this lewdness. So by women actually were, so to say, obliged to witness a woman undergoing the procedure of a saitam. Starts the next Mishnah. And it says the Mishnah, that according to the measure with which one measures one's actions, with it, they, meaning Hashem, the divine providence, will measure for him as we have the Pedoshov in Hasidus of Hashem Tzilcha, right in Tehillim, Hashem is your Tzilcha, Hashem is your shadow. So I think this comes from the Magid. The Magid says the whole concept of that on one hand, things function Hashem is the initiator, of course. Hashem is the master. Hashem is the cause and we are the effect. 
But after Hashem created the world, the koyach and the responsibility that God Almighty gave us is such that there's a concept called milmata lomailam, or there's a concept called isarusa de losata, isarusa de la that we are the cause. And Hashem kaviyachal is like our shadow, just like when a person walks, the shadow is following you. You pick up your hand, so the shadow also picks up the hand. Thank God, imagine if not. And so Hashem is reacting to us. So it's not an absolute justice system in the world. There is that also. There's two systems. But there's a system that according to the way we behave, according to the measure that we use, that measuring stick is used for us. And we're going to show the concept of which is really a tremendous responsibility for us to understand, that we have tremendous power, that we are the ones that, so to say, decide our own fate. Hashem reacts towards us based on our initial action. So therefore, part of her procedure is Hashem is going to make her look unattractive. She exposed herself for sin to her adulterer. Hashem is going to expose her as we just learned. Her hair is uncovered. Her body is uncovered. The sin of cohabitation begins with the thighs. So then, and then afterwards, as Rashi says, first her thighs have pleasure from the sin and then the adulterer lays on her stomach. So then the stomach has pleasure from the sin. And therefore, when it comes to punishment, first, if, God forbid, she committed adultery and the waters make her die, it's a gruesome death. First, her thighs collapse, as this is the Seder in the Pasuk, and then her stomach expands and explodes. And then, says the Mishnah, but don't think the rest of the body is off scot-free. The rest of the body doesn't escape because all of the body had pleasure from the sin. So all of the body ultimately suffers while this person is dying. And again, as we spoke out, this type of gruesome death is on the woman and on the adulterer, wherever he might be during this procedure. Says the Gemara, says Rabbi Yosef, even though even though exact measure seized, we'll see soon what that means, however, you should know that according to the measure, the words of the Mishnah, that type of punishment, that bottle that never stopped, the Amar Rab Yosef Chaintane Rab Chia Rab Yosef taught Rab Chia taught Rab Raisa that Meyim Shachar Beis Hamikdash that from the day that the temple was destroyed Afal Pisha Butla Sanhedrin even though the Sanhedrin were dispersed they were nullified temporarily until the coming of Mashiach and we know that even though the death penalty did not need to be executed only by the great Sanhedrin but any Sanhedrin of twenty three were allowed to enforce the capital punishment, but when were they allowed to do it? Only when the great Sanhedrin were sitting in their location in the Lishka Sargazes. So after the, after the Sanhedrin were exiled from the Lishka Sargazes, and by the way, they didn't go from there to nowhere. As we learned, there were 10 places of exile. Ultimately, they came to Tiveria, and only in Tiveria were they fully dismantled, which is why our tradition is that when Mashiach is going to come, when the Sanhedrin is going to be re- Convened, it's going to initially be reconvened in Tiberia. So be that as it may. So, you sh- so once there's no Sanhedrin, there's no there's no din, there's no midah of the four deaths. But 
Arba Misa is like Batlu, but the four deaths still go on. End of Raisa. Says the Gemara, when they go on? For Batlu, there's no Sanhedrin. There's no halachic court that is executing the death penalty. So explains the Gemara. What they meant to say is, Din Arba Misa is That the, according to the measure, that the concept of the four deaths were never nullified. The four deaths is stoning, burning, Stoning, as, as we explained, a person is thrown off a high building. Burning is not that they burn the outside of the body, but the person was forced to swallow burning, boiling lead. So there was a strafas hanefesh and not haguf. The person only got burnt inside. Then you had the other two deaths is beheading. That's called headache. And the fourth death is strangulation. Strangulation was not that they hung a person. After the person died, they were hung for an instant, mamish, on a tree. For a moment. And then they were right away taken down and buried. Strangulation was that, the, that there were two, there were two uh, members of Basin. One rope was wrapped around the person's neck, and one person went one way, and the other person went the other way. So says the Gemara that Mishan is Chayv Skila, if a person committed the sin for which had there been a great Sanhedrin, the person would have been executed with Skila in the Basin. So now that there is no Basin, the person is not off scot free. Mida Keneged Mida. There's like divine providence that is reacting to our actions. So, that person either falls off a roof, which is mamash skila, or the person is teared apart by a wild animal. Mission is chayv of a person, God forbid, did an aveda, for which one needs to get burned. And if he didn't do tshuva, important to add that, or the person falls into a fire, or a snake bites the person. So the venom of a snake is a fiery venom. Mission is chayv hariga of a person, God forbid, did a sin. For which, had there been a Sanhedrin, the person would have been beheaded. Or the person is going to be found guilty by a civil government in those days of the Gemara. The death penalty wasn't by injection, it was by beheading. Or the person is going to be uh, assaulted by bandits. It today will be by ISIS and they'll be beheaded. Mishnah is chayv chanikov, a person, God forbid, did a sin for which he's chayv to be strangulated. In other words, he will die from a lack of oxygen. Oi toiv or the person is going to drown. Oi meiz be siroinki, siroinki means quincy. Quincy, we spoke this out a few times when we learned this is an illness in which the body begins to inflate, begins to swell. And if any type of swelling happens right near the windpipe, so then the person suffocates to death. Tanya, as Gamar continues, or as we have in the side Messiah Sashat, Rav Meir always says that from where do we learn that according to the measure, again, with which one measures one's own actions, that with that measure, they in the heavens measure for him. Shanamad as it says, quoting a Pasik in Yeshaya, that Bisasa Bishalcha Triveno, that with precise measure you will content with her when you send her away. In other words, when Hashem, God forbid, was going to send us into Golos, it was with precise measure. Now the measuring unit that this Pasik uses is the measuring unit of a saw. So if our sins filled up a saw, so the punishments will be exactly with that amount of saw. Now saw is relatively a large amount. So asks the Gemara, Ainli Elo Saw. Maybe if we sin a lot, so then the punishment will be in comparison to 
will be equal to Mida Kenegad Mida with a saw. But how do we know that for every action a person does, and obviously it's not only in the negative, we're learning now in the negative, but soon we're going to go all this in the positive. Minayin Larabah is Tarkav, and a Tarkav is a half a saw. A saw is six kav. A Tarkav is three kav. As Rashi points out, it's a good simon to remember that Tarkav means tray, two kavs, vikav, two and one. Tray, vikav, two and one is three, that's three, that's a half a saw. Or if a person sinned, and the Gemara is going from larger measuring units to smaller measuring units as it was in the times of Chazal. So today will be a liter, a half a liter, a quarter of a liter. So there we go. Tarkav, chatzir tarkav, a kav, or a half a kav, or a quarter of a kav, and a half a quarter of a kav, a toimen, even a smaller measure, or uchla. We just had uchla and dafhei. When we, we were learning the sugya of mishmoina bishminis, that a Talmud Chacham can be arrogant, if you learn it that way. Either Rashi taich tak an eighth, because uchla, we learned that Rashi inside, means an eighth. There actually we said that people amended the Rashi to a kartoiv. A kartoiv is one in 64. That's the smallest measuring unit. But anyways, the Gemara is going down that even if a person sinned a lesser sin, minayin that there's a concept of me, the connected me, though. So says the Gemara, Talmud Laimer, he continues in the same passage in Yeshaya, ki chol sa'in. The word kol is the key. For every measure, soyin berash, a person is measured with noise. Any measure means even for a small sin, midah connected midah. I, as the Ramashah explains, we know that Hashem is forgiven and Hashem is patient. And it's not that a person does a small sin, they're right away punished. That it takes time for punishment to come. By that time, the person either did tshuva, so they won't be punished. Or, God forbid, the person did many, many more sins. So now you're back to the saw. So says the Gemara, you're right. The punishment doesn't come right away. But when it comes... Why is all of that punishment coming? Because all of the prior sins are added up. Once every midah that we used is going to be then used on us. Minayin shakal pruto, pruto. How do we know that a coin by coin, sin by sin, are ultimately mitztarefes lechesh gadol? They are accumulated. Tamud leimer, as it says, achas laachas limtsoi cheshbin. That adding one to the other, Hashem adds one sin to the other. And likewise, obviously, in the good, to determine the amount, to determine the cheshbin. And now let's continue learning the b'raith of Echein Matzina Bosaitam. Continues the b'raith, and this is exactly why the procedure of the saita is the way it's prescribed. That that according to the measure that she used for sin, that is exactly what is measured out for her. He She stood outside of her house to be seen by her adulterer. That's why she has to stand revealed, exposed in the gate of Nikner, under the gate of Nikner. Umala Kalaina and he shows her shame, he relates her shame like oil to everyone. He Al Raisha, she covered her hair with nice tichlach, with nice kerchiefs. The Kayim takes off her kippa. He takes off her head covering. And he puts it under her feet. He she adorned her face. turning to the word moirikos means either yellow or light brown, but before she dies, if she's guilty, her face turns a horrible color. He she made up her eyes. therefore a her eyes, her eyes um, bulge. He she braided her hair to be attractive. the coin unbraids her hair. 
he had Asalei, Be'etz Bashi motioned to him to come close to her with her finger, so to say. Lefikach, therefore, as we learned in the Mishnah, that kol haguf palat that the rest of her body doesn't escape punishment. And the rest of her body even includes her fingernails. That even her fingernails, noishtres, they fall out while she's dying. He she girded herself with a belt. Ultimately, after he rents her garments, brings this chevel mitzri, this, let's say, rope out of palm fiber. He she exposed or she extended her thighs. Her thighs collapse. He kibalta yal keresa. She received this adulterer on her stomach. Lefikach bit natsava. Therefore, her stomach expands, explodes. He haachilatu madani oilam. She fed him all of, all of the delicacies of the of the world. Lefikach karbana michael behema. Therefore, she brings a, a sacrifice of animal food. As we spoke out, that whenever a flower offering was brought in the base amigdash, it always needed to be out of wheat flour, and with only two exceptions. Or as a carbon yachid, this is the only exception, which is it was made out of barley. Barley is Michael Behema. So she brings animal, an animal sacrifice. She gave him to drink good wine. And she gave it to him because in refined utensils, in glass utensils. Therefore, first he gives her bitter waters. As we spoke out before, that certain bitter herbs were put in that water. And where was that put? The Mekida Shel Cheres. Mekida means an earthenware from a fire pot. In other words, it's the most lowly, the most inexpensive earthenware. It needed to be new, but it was the most inexpensive one. Because we'll stop over here. Emir Hashem to be continued. Mida connected. Mida all on the good. Just to conclude that the same, that really the concept of a Saita, that the Jewish people, the Knesset Yisrael, we are Hashem's wife. And every time, God forbid, we misbehave, it's considered an act of infidelity. And therefore, this is all relevant to us, to us guys learning. And obviously, all of this is in the positive as well, to be continued.